Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Brian Custer from Fox Sports and Showtime Championship Boxing, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. He attended the University of Cincinnati and was once the sports information director of the Southwest Ohio Conference. Currently, he's the Xavier beat writer at the Cincinnati Inquirer. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates Live, Adam Baum. Adam, how are you today? Tom, I'm doing well, man. Th- thank you guys for having me back. I appreciate it. No, the pleasure is all ours. Thank you for joining the show again. Much appreciated. All right, Adam, so before we get started, what we've been doing with all of our guests, just to be kind of sensitive to what's going on, we have our standard COVID-19 wellness check-in. So just trying to get a perspective as to how everybody's doing out there, friends and family, or how the pandemic has been kind of impacting your life in your current environment. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Xavier has been, they've been kind enough to let me into their home games. This year, I'm one of the few that, that got the green light access. And uh, without that, I don't know. I wouldn't have anywhere to go. Um, so it's nice to be able to get out of the house and do something, <laughs> go see some other human beings. But, you know, my family's all doing well. Everyone's healthy. I'm healthy. It's kind of crazy to think that when this whole thing started to spiral out of control, I was in New York City at the Big East Tournament. You know, Xavier lost to DePaul on that opening night. Actually, during that game uh, was when Rudy Gobert tested positive and – Tom Hank, it was announced that Tom Hanks had this thing. So it feels like that was a lifetime ago, but um, here we are, man. I'm doing well. So before we get into the actual breakdown of Xavier, that's an interesting kind of little tidbit. So what's it like to be in one of these arenas or environments where it's like 200 non-participants in the stands, whether it be, you know, the camera people, the reporters like yourself, give me, give me that environment. It's odd, you know, because you come from a situation these last couple of years, my first two years on the Xavier beat. And it was, it was like after games, I would have to take Excedrin, you know, cause it, you're in these places and it's so loud and you know, your ears are ringing and now it's, it's just such a different vibe in there, man. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about it is you get to hear the trash talk. Um, you get to hear these guys talking to each other out there on the court. And that's, that's something you don't normally get when it's a filled, filled arena. So that's been that's been a different dynamic, something that I've really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just weird. It's like yeah, Xavier has cheerleaders and they're over there doing their thing during games, and no one's really cheering or paying attention to them. It's just <laughs> it's just such an odd dynamic right now. All right, let, let's start diving into kind of breaking down the team. So currently ten and two, three and two in Biggie's play. They currently sit fifth 
in the Big East Conference standings. They were picked to finish seventh overall in the coaches' preseason poll. But when they kind of started out, it kind of got off to what I would say more of a rocky start. You had a three-game stretch against Bradley, Toledo, and Eastern Kentucky. That game actually went into overtime. But the three wins were all by a collective seven points total. Now, most fan bases, specifically probably us here at Seton Hall, would get very anxious and critical about kind of not blowing out the inferior competition. But one might also sit there and say they didn't get a chance to develop the entire roster, get you know guys at the end of the bench meaningful minutes. Was Travis Steele able to kind of learn anything about his team through these early gut checks? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know Xavier fans and Seton, Seton Hall fans have a little bit in common there because there were quite a few Xavier fans that started to hit the panic button early, it, particularly because the, those games that you mentioned, those close games early on, it sort of looked like the same Xavier team from the last couple of years. You know, they could, they didn't shoot very well in those games. They, they had some mental breakdowns and things like that, but you look at the big picture and you really hit the nail on the head with the fact that this team started the season with three guys in quarantine due to contact tracing. One of those guys is Colby Jones, the guy who just hit the game winner against Providence, a guy who's now worked his way into the starting lineup they also had a guy, Adam Kunkel, a transfer from Belmont, who was not even eligible yet. So they were playing with about seven guys in through the first five games of the season. So they had a really short bench. And I think I think Travis still got a good idea of, of what he had from those guys. But then the, the dynamic shifted because you bring in these new guys and then you have to refigure out your rotations again. You, you kind of have to relearn all this stuff on the fly. Hey, who works well together? Who doesn't? So I think it was it was five or six games of, of learning what you got from the that short bench. And then it was kind of a relearning process after that when you welcomed everyone back in. Now, what we've been saying so far this season is nothing certain, nothing's familiar. However, Xavier was able to keep a little bit of normalcy and still play rival Cincinnati in the Crosstown shootout this year. Xavier ended up scoring a 77-69 win, and supposedly there was still a little bit of a crowd in attendance. And now I got to tell you, I'm a little jealous in hearing both that you get to go to these games and then that were people watching this one. Now, so Seton Hall and Rutgers have gotten a lot of flack this year for not figuring out a way to make their rivalry game uh, take place. So what kind of behind the scenes work went into making sure that this game still got played? Well, it wasn't easy. There was uh, there was quite a bit of friction leading up to this one. Um, you know, from everything that I heard and everything that was reported about it, you know, UC didn't want to host this year because for obvious reasons. You know, you don't want to lose one of the most heated, heated games on your schedule. You don't have fans there for it. You're going to lose arguably your biggest gate revenue game of the year, and you're not going to see that again for two more years. So – they didn't want to host it. Xavier wasn't really interested in playing on at a neutral site for a while there. It was like two, two immovable objects. Neither one of them really wanted to budge. And I think eventually it got, got to the point where there was a, a lot of pressure on UC and their head coach, John Brandon to, to make the, uh, the hard decision and say, you know what, it, it may not be fair this year that, that we're going to have to host this thing without fans. We're going to lose out on all this money, but for the for the greater good of the rivalry he kind of jumped on that grenade there so he i don't know if you guys saw it but 
he released a, a pretty funny video on Twitter announcing that that the shootout was on and it was going to be at UC. So there was a, there was a, a little bit of a, a fire adding up to the shootout this year, which I think was good. Um, and you know, I know that UC struggling right now, and you you look back at that game, and that was that was probably one of the better performances that they've had this year. And it, it ended up being a really good game. There were a bunch of lead changes, and, and Xavier pulled away late, but. It, it was it was interesting because I think for a while there, a lot of people weren't sure that it was going to happen this year. So it was good to see them figure it out. Yeah, we've seen a lot of these things on Twitter lately. I mean, Chris Mack was calling out Calipari earlier this year. So it's fun to see that coaches are embracing this. Now, Xavier also finished out their non-conference schedule with a dominant performance against Oklahoma in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. They won 99-77 and had really stellar performances from a lot of their players. Zach Fremantle scored 28, Nate Johnson 25, Paul Scruggs went for 20 and 8 assists. The team shot a blistering 57% from the field and passed the ball around real well, 28 assists on the 36 makes. What did a performance like this do to change the confidence level and potentially the expectations for this team? I think it was huge because coming in, I think a lot of people thought, hey, this Oklahoma team's pretty good. And what Mike talked about early on was, hey, what does this Xavier team really have? You know, they struggled. They got lucky to beat Bradley. They barely got by Toledo. They They got lucky to beat Eastern Kentucky. And I, I think that that was the kind of a game where it was like reminded them that they can play. And, you know, one, one of the things that you didn't mention there was they broke a school record with 19 three-pointers in that game. So I think a lot of the pressure over the last two years has been the fact that Xavier has not been able to shoot the ball from the perimeter. And I think that was, a, that was kind of a – uh, Travis Steele's way of showing, hey, this is the direction I want this thing to go. I want I want to create a program that can attack people from every level of the floor. I've covered a bunch of Xavier games now. This is my third year. That that was the best offensive game I've ever seen Xavier play. They they started making them early and they never stopped. Man, it was like everyone who touched the floor, they they were on. It was it was impressive. Well, it's just a different roster makeup, though, right? You're talking about you know guys like Tyreek Jones and Quentin Gooden and even Najee Marshall to an extent. They really weren't three point shooters, and now you just have a completely different philosophy in the composition of this roster. So I'm I'm not surprised, but they hadn't shown it till that point. Yeah, I agree. And you know that was it, it was one of those things where people would ask Travis Steele, "Hey, what what kind of a program are you building? What what do you want your style to be like?" And this was the example that he always gave. And and to your point, yeah, he kind of inherited some guys that didn't necessarily fit that system. And now I think you're seeing him bring in guys and recruit guys that really fit that type of mold. I I think he wants to be, you know, not not Creighton-esque, but he he wants guys that can shoot that, that aren't afraid to let it fly. There's nothing wrong with being Creighton-esque. They took us to the woodshed, so no complaints here, right? <laughs> Jeez. All right, so we get into Big East play. Uh, Xavier, like I said earlier, is currently 3-2, and two, and three of those games have come right down to the final shot. And while one would think the ball would end up in the hands of the guys that Tom mentioned before, Fremantle, Scruggs, or Johnson, that really kind of hasn't been the case. You got Belmont transfer Adam Kunkel and freshman Colby Jones finding themselves in starring roles 
with game-winning three-pointers in the final seconds in, in two of those contests. And then Kunkel had a chance to even tie it up as a, they rallied back against Creighton with a, you know, a big steal in the final seconds. You know, specifically that most recent win versus Providence, Tom and I were just completely impressed by the poise down the stretch and the flawless execution on that final possession. They ran a well-designed set, and they continued to make the right pass until the ball ended up in the hands of Jones. And we were just sitting there going, man, I wish Seton Hall ran plays like that. You know, how much credit goes to Travis Steele for having them so well-prepared in those moments? That's a, that's a really good question. And believe it or not, it's one that Travis Steele got after that game. And in kind of true coach fashion, he shrugged it off. And I think his response was something to the effect of, you know, coaches always get all the credit, but it's the players that make the plays. And to your point, I think, I think one of the most more powerful things about this Xavier team is their unselfishness. It's the fact that, you know, in that situation, Travis Steele draws up a play for Adam Kunkel to get downhill, dribble handoff, get to the basket, try to get a bucket. And he realizes in the moment, hey, it's not there. I'm going to sling it out to the to Paul Scruggs in the corner. And here's your senior, one of the guys who is very comfortable with the basketball in his hands. And he could have very easily pulled the trigger on what would have been a contested jump shot. And he takes a dribble, finds an open freshman, a guy who had only hit one three-pointer in the se- on the season going into that game. And, and I think it just speaks to how much they trust each other so far. But, yeah, to answer your question, I think – I think we've seen, you know, because of the personnel that Travis Steele has this year, I think that's allowed him to open up the playbook a little bit more and get a little bit more creative with some of the things he's doing. You you look at some of their rotations, and a lot of times, you know, they don't have a single guy in the post. No one clogging up the paint. They, They play five out quite a bit. And I think that's allowed them to get a little bit loose and have a little bit more fun with some of the stuff that they're running. Now, you said coaches call the plays, but players have to execute. So let's talk about the roster a little bit. Mike already stole a little bit of my thunder for this question, but, you know, a lot of Xavier's top players left last year. Najee Marshall left early. Tariq Jones graduated. Quentin Gooden as well. Now, Marshall went undrafted and ultimately secured a two-way contract with the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, were you surprised that Marshall didn't return for his senior season? I was not. I I think that there was a, a heavy expectation that with with the the kind of junior season that he had, I think he was he was headed out the door. Yeah, I don't think anyone was really that surprised by that, honestly. Even though like these guys are not getting the guaranteed contract, I know a two way contract's respectable, and I know his game translates well for what they're looking for at the NBA. But we always said it. We're like, hey, if Miles Powell or Isaiah Whitehead were not getting first round contracts. Why not come back? Isaiah stayed and Powell were glad he came back, but we're surprised when they're not getting the guaranteed money that they would walk away from being the, I mean, Najee would have been the star, right? He would have been first team all big biggies preseason. You know, I I don't know where he could have put the ceiling towards taking this team, but he would have been the guy. He was the guy last year. No, I, I completely agree. And I think all those points were probably presented to him in a similar fashion to the way you just laid him out. But I think this was a guy and not to say that he didn't enjoy his time at Xavier. I think he had a great time. And, you know, I think I think for a guy in that position, though, you don't really like going to school. You don't like that aspect of it. Um, and, you know, the guys that, guys that he played with at Xavier, you know, 
know, Edmund Sumner, Trayvon Blue, J.P. McCura, Sean O'Mara. A lot of these guys, he's talking to them, and they're all making money playing basketball. And I, I think that that just has kind of this this ripple effect on some of these guys. You know, you can you can ooh them and ah them with, hey, you're going to be the star next year. You're going to be first team all Big East. But ultimately, I think for some of these guys, a, a paycheck is just more important than that. You know, I don't think Mike and I liked school either, but we weren't rushing out that door, though. So, you know, every team hopes that their sophomores take their big leap from their freshman year, but Xavier's actually seeing one do so. Zach Fremantle for an almost 16 points a game, grabbing eight boards. He's shooting 58% from the field and almost 40% from three. Are you surprised that he's had this kind of impact so far this season? I'm not surprised. I'm I'm more surprised about another sophomore who we may talk about at some point here and his lack of production. But I expected this from Zach Fremantle. Um, you know, one of New Jersey's finest from what I understand. But he's uh you 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 watch him play and he plays with an edge, man. Like sometimes that edge gets him in trouble, but I think from from the conversations I had and everyone that I spoke to when you started to hear about some of the th- things that he was working on in the off season, you know, really working on that three point shot, really working on finishing with both hands over both shoulders. Um, I think he was poised to have a, a pretty good breakout season. Now he's got a, he's got to clean up his defense. I think sometimes he's a little bit of a liability on the defensive end, but offensively, man, he's, he's a matchup nightmare, especially the, the key for him is getting off to a good start. Some of these games, he misses some shots early. He gets a, a foul call, goes against him that he didn't agree with, and it sort of takes him out of his rhythm. He's He plays with a, a little bit of a temper, and I think he's got to learn to curb that. But the, the sky's the limit on this guy, man, the guy who played in Rucker Park once upon a time. Jersey kid with a temper. I've never heard that before. No, you go you, figure. You got, you got a podcaster with a temper from Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my job was to transition and talk about Paul Scruggs next, but uh, you kind of already kind of threw a little uh, nugget out there, so I want to pursue it. So the other sophomore on this roster that I wasn't going to dive that much into is Kiki Tandy, and, you know, he had the big rating coming out of high school being a top 100 recruit. It, was there that much expectation just because of that ranking? I mean, he's had a decent year so far, averaging just under nine points a game, but, you know, Fremantle's made this huge leap. And Tandy hasn't made that huge leap. And it's it's interesting, the expectations they put on these guys to make that quantum jump from freshman to sophomore year. Is that the expectation around the program, that he's underperforming? Yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, you you need to look at what he's done these last – I mean, he only played three minutes against St. John's. It was a close game. He didn't play at all in the second half of that game. He didn't, he didn't touch the floor against Providence. And – Travis Steele has said many times that he's the best shooter in the program. And I think one of the issues that that he's run into is last year, they needed shooters. They needed guys who could help score. So it was kind of like, hey, Kiki, when you get in the game, just go attack. Just get that ball through the basket any way that you can. And I think aggressive. Oh, man, he was aggressive for a freshman. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a guy like that, I think he loved hearing that. And now the the conversation has sort of shifted a little bit. Now it's, hey, we got a bunch of different weapons. You don't have to force it now. Now it's more about, can you make the right decision? Can you make the right play? And he's failed to do that so far in his sophomore year. And he's had some good games. He's done some really good things. 
he's struggled with consistency and he's he struggles on the defensive end and i think that because of xavier's depth because of all these weapons that they have it's a lot harder for a guy like that to be able to play through his mistakes like maybe you maybe he was able to do that quite quite a lot more last year this year it, it's not the case because i think travis Steele looks at it and he says well you know what kiki's struggling i got a guy over here sitting next to me on the bench I'm going to give him some runs, see what he can do. And I think that the the opportunities have sort of shrinked up a little bit for him this year. Well, that's a perfect way for me to transition back to Paul Scruggs. Talk about a player who's made the improvement or is making the right decisions on the court. Here's Paul, who previously in his career was only averaging in 2019 2.9 assists per game, and he's up to 6.3. He's leading the Big East, and he's still scoring the basketball at almost 14 points a game. So, I, you know, the biggest question mark was, could Paul kind of take that alpha role on this team? And I thought they meant that he was going to be the alpha from a scoring perspective. And the way he's distributing the basketball, I think is opening eyes across the big East. So, I mean, like, you know, how do you go from being that kind of scorer to being the primary ball distributor and be as successful as he's been? I mean, I'm, I'm just really shocked. Well, I think from the time Paul walked in the door as a freshman, I think it was about trying to get him to slow down a little bit. You watch him earlier on in his career, and he played at such a high speed. And I think a lot of times when you do that and you're a young kid, it's fun to get out like that and run and fun to to go all out. But a lot of times it leads to mistakes. And, and I think what you've seen from him is over the course of his four years, he's figured out how to slow the game down a little bit, how to how to see it more clearly, how to make the right decision. And a lot of times for him, uh, the, the last few years, it was it would be like, hey, we need a bucket. We need you to attack. We need you to go out, go out and get us to. And now it's like, I think he trusts his teammates to do that as well. You know what I mean? So he's uh, he trusts the guys around him. He's he's playing at his own pace. He does not get sped up. And, you know, he he's playing like a senior. And I think the the jump that Paul has made from last year to this year has been one of the more impressive jumps that I've seen in my time covering the team because, you know, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I think so. like he's almost eclipsed how many total assists he had last year already this year. And he has cut the turnovers drastically. It's his numbers from last year to this year are just night and day. It's, it's kind of crazy to look at it. So here's my next step in this evolution of being like the alpha. So we see it with Sandro on our team you know, people are now making him the focal point of their game plan defensively. And Sandro's gone through a rough patch of basically struggling with high turnovers and let's say, you know, three out of the last four games. I noticed that Paul's scoring production over the last four games has really dropped off. He's only averaging 8.75 points per game and he's shooting 12 of 32 for 37 and a half percent. And that doesn't mirror the output that he had to start the season. So as the other teams are starting to put this major focus around him, how is Paul adjusting to kind of being in that spotlight of being the guy that the other team is trying to stop? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to find out because I actually, I just published a story not too long ago. And one of the points I brought up was I, you know, like you just pointed out the drop off in production these last few games. And one of the things I've really noticed from him, that he does really well. He is great at attacking the basket, creating space and getting looks inside the defense. He's kind of gotten away from that. 
And I don't know why that's I'm hoping that we get him in a, a post game press conference here pretty soon, but that's been noticeably lacking from his game recently. I don't know if that's because defenses have shifted how they're how they're approaching him now. They don't want him to be able to penetrate and get into the teeth of the defense like that. Um, I'm not sure if that's the reason. I'm not sure if he's just a little bit gun shy because, you know, these last few games, it's almost been like everyone on Xavier's roster has been in a little bit of a slump. Um, you know, the St. John's, they won that game without making a single three-pointer, which is just mind-boggling in and of itself. But I think he may just be in a little bit of a rut here. I think that there are going to be opportunities for him to work his way out of that. What I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, com- coming into the first Seton Hall matchup, he was shooting, what, 12 of 18 on his like most recent three-point attempts. So if they wanted to back off of him, I mean, he was knocking him down lights out. It's just been a collectively across the board kind of slump. So it just kind of something that I was scratching my head about and we wanted to kind of ask him when you had John. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's a great question. It's one I wish I, I wish I had a better answer to because – I know a lot of Xavier fans are curious how, you know, you start the Big East with this just 29-point performance against Marquette and what, what turned out to be a really great basketball game. And since then, he's just – he's faded a little bit. And I'm curious uh, to see when he snaps out of it because they need that guy. Let's take a look at the rest of Xavier's supporting cast. I mean, they seem to be getting a lot of production from a lot of different places. I mean, we already talked about Kiki Tandy and what he could do once he gets back on the court. But you also have Nate Johnson, who's a grad transfer from Garner Webb. He's averaging 11 points a game and shooting 51% from three. You got Jason Carter, a senior forward, going 8-8 eight and eight for the season so far. Dewan Odom, a freshman backup point guard, getting four assists a game. You're getting 10 assists a game from your point guards. You don't understand how jealous Mike and I are about that. We <laughs> talked about Adam Kunkel. He's a transfer from Belmont and Colby Jones, the freshman. So many different role players on this team filling in where they can. So who are the couple X factors that you can point to that Xavier really need to be consistent to be successful this season? Well, you know, outside of Zach Fremantle and Paul Scruggs, you're looking at a guy like Jason Carter as a perfect example. He's not going to stat stuff the stat sheet. He's not going to he's not a prolific scorer, but he's one of those guys that you can count on to play defense and rebound. And you know, if we're going to talk about the 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 first Seton Hall meeting, you know, that's that's where they got exposed. They they could not rebound, they could not play defense. He's one of those guys that you can consistently rely on to bring that. Um, ben Stanley just recently tore his ACL out for the year, one of their uh, grad transfers this year. So a guy like Brian Griffin, who played Division II basketball last year, he led the nation in Division II in rebounding. He's been slight, really impressive coming off the bench for them. I've been really impressed with his ability to make the leap from Division II to not just Division One, but Big East basketball, man. Um, they're going to need those two guys in a big, big way. And you touched on Nate Johnson. The crazy thing to me is Nate Johnson and Brian Griffin, they're both grad transfers. Travis Steele and his staff, they never met either one of them in person, never watched either one of them play live in the, in the same gym because of the pandemic. They took a chance on both of them. And they've both been really impressive, man. I think that that's kind of been one of the biggest things this year that's really stood out to me is that these two guys joined this team having never met any of the coaches, 
never met any of their future teammates, never got to visit the campus. They got, they got FaceTime virtual campus tours before they committed. And they've really played well, man. I, I think they, as you said, a lot of different weapons, a lot of different options, but those, those three guys are three guys. I think, Hey, if they can be consistent, that's going to help this team in leaps and bounds. It's an interesting story because you're going to see that same uh, integration of players. When you talk about the recruiting class that's coming in for next season for everybody across the country, it was all done virtual. You know, you don't know how they're going to have chemistry. Normally these guys take a campus visit. They hang out in the dorm rooms. They kind of bond with the team. This is where I want to be. We didn't get that this year. It's going to be another interesting dynamic as we roll into 2021 for the following campaign. Yeah, I agree. I think two things are going to happen. One is a lot of guys are going to go unnoticed and a lot of programs are going to swing and miss on guys. I think those two things are going to happen and it's going to be, it's get Yeah. It's going to be a little bit of luck how it all plays out, but you, you bring up a great point. I'm really interested to see how this impacts next season, because like you said, the recruiting dead period has extended pretty much indefinitely now at this point. So um, they're going to be in the same boat again here in a couple months, bringing in new kids. So let's talk about the upcoming game against Seton Hall, Adam, a little bit. This is already a rematch from the first meeting earlier this season, and we're not even at the halfway point in conference play. You know, in the first game, Seton Hall had one of those complete performances that Xavier had versus Oklahoma. It was an 85-68 victory for the Pirates. They shot 53% from the field, 14 for 14 from the line, and and had a plus 14 rebounding margin. Now, what can the Musketeers take away from this first game? Or is it just one of those games that they just want to burn the film and start from scratch? Uh, Quite the opposite, actually. Travis Steele did something unprecedented for him. Normally, the way that they watch is they break it down and they they work on it specifically, specific segments like, hey, Zach Fremantle, here's your film from this game. We're going to watch it. We're going to digest it. We're going to see what you did well, see what you didn't do well. With that Seton Hall game, he sat the entire team down and they watched the entire game together from start to finish. And uh, and I spoke to someone within the program and they they didn't mince any words. They said that that they're all embarrassed. They were all embarrassed by the way they played in that game. So that's uh that's telling to me that he did that with them. That that they thought that much about that game to sit there and watch every single play and you know, the fact that they're embarrassed about it, I think it's going to make for a really heated game on Saturday. You know, I've, the Travis, if you if you listen to his post-game press conference or you read my story after that game, he was not very pleased with his team. And, you know, when you say things like we got exposed and they were the tougher team, like uh, that's stuff that doesn't sit well with any of the, those guys in that locker room. So I think it's going to be a heated game, man. I'm excited. Maybe we need to send Kevin Willard an email, tell him to sit the team down and watch that Creighton game again. <laughs> I, I remember when my high school football coach did that after a, a, a beatdown we took. It was awkward, and the practices were intense that entire week yeah. leading up to the next game. So I, I get it. Psychologically, it could work, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. All right, let, let's dive into this further. So also in this game, Seton Hall held Xavier to 5 of 24 from 3 in their first eight games to start the season. As Tom mentioned, they were shooting greater than 40% from the field. Yet in their last four games total, that mark has dropped to 22.8%. 
you know, their total output offensively was at 84 points a game. And during that same comparison, it's dropped down to 68 points per game. You know, Xavier hit a COVID pause right before conference play started. Now, I know they had a shootout against Marquette, but outside of that game, do you think the pause can be attributed to the offensive drop-off, or is it just Biggie's play that's making things more difficult? No, I think 100%. And Travis Steele won't say this because I asked him this exact question. Because if you look at their schedule, they play. They had the, the COVID pause leading up to Marquette. And then I think that they played – three their next three games were in a span of like 17 days they had two week-long breaks in between games and you you he talks a lot about rhythm and flow offensively and it's impossible to create that in practice in my opinion you know that's something that you find in games and you learn how to cultivate and sustain from game to game and they haven't had that recently and i think that's a huge contributing factor to the way that the shooting and the scoring has dropped off here recently. Um, another big factor of, uh, that Travis Steele talks about has been their, the ball movement. You know, this is a team that, that we talked about earlier that a lot of times they like to spread it out. They don't have anyone clogging up the paint. They move that ball around. They try to find the best, uh, the open guy for the best shot. That's been, that's been noticeably lacking recently. Um, and I'm not sure why. I think they got back to it a little bit against Providence on Sunday but that ball's got to move for this team. You know, when they're standing around and one guy's kind of holding on to it, it's never going to lead to a good shot for this team. They, they have to be proactive at the offensive end of the floor. All right, let's dive into some head-to-head matchups. To me, I think it's Zach Fremantle versus Sandro Mamukelashvili. Is there a more intriguing matchup head-to-head that you see in this contest? No, I, I think yeah, that was the one I was really excited about going into the first meeting. But Zach is so important to what this Xavier team is and what they want to do. And I think for him, going back home to New Jersey, knowing that, that I know that there aren't going to be fans there, but you know, just being back home, I think it's a huge opportunity for him. And you know, for him to go up against a guy that a lot of people are talking about is going to be an NBA draft pick and potential Big East player of the year. And yeah, I think we need to start pumping the brakes on that at the <laughs> But yeah, to me, that's 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 a matchup where this game could very easily be decided because I, you know, I wrote about this in the lead up to the the first game, and obviously none of it happened because it was a completely one-sided affair. But you know, I think it is Xavier's ability to play on the perimeter can kind of pull some of those Seton Hall big guys away from the basket, maybe take a little bit of rebounding pressure off, but it all starts with Zach Fremantle. You look at the best games that Xavier has played this year. I think against Oklahoma, he started seven for seven from the field in the first half. Like when he gets off to a good start, it has this positive ripple effect throughout the whole team. And, uh, and I think you could probably say the same thing about Sandro because, you know, when, when Seton Hall's looking really good, man, he's doing a little bit of everything. He's like a guard in a six foot 10 dude's body. It's, it's going to be a big-time matchup. I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. All right, so you also mentioned that uh, Xavier kind of got taken to task by their coach for their toughness and kind of getting beat on the boards and that they have to kind of figure out who's going to kind of backfill and give that kind of uh, effort now that Stanley is also injured. Give me a couple other victories besides being even on the glass for Xavier to come out with a victory here. Well, I think uh, Xavier gets themselves into a little bit of trouble with turnovers. I know that 
they they have a really good assist to turnover ratio, but they do kind of get careless with the ball at times. I think Seton Hall is a pretty good defensive team. Um, you know, I'm only judging them on the one game that I saw them, but I think you have to take care of the ball against Seton Hall. I thought Seton Hall got out in transition against Xavier, led to a lot of easy buckets. Um, Xavier has to to work for good shots, take care of it, and then because I think when they get careless with it and they start turning it over, what it leads to is they don't get their defense set, and they're not a great defensive team to begin with. So when they don't get that defense set, I think it just creates problems at that end of the floor for them. So turnovers is a big one. I touched on the assists. I think that Xavier's top 10 nationally in assists per game. I know that they're leading the Big East with over 19 assists per game, but to me that's a great indicator of, of how this team is playing. And they survived Providence with not that many assists. If they're sharing the ball the way that they can, I think that's going to lead to this offense kind of finding itself again. So I'm looking for the rebounding. I'm looking for the toughness. I'm looking at turnovers. And I'm looking for how they're sharing the basketball. Those are the big things. I know Xavier fans and a lot of people make a big deal about three-pointers because we had, Xavier hasn't been able to make many of them the last two years. But um, they're a good shooting team. I think that that will reveal itself over the course of the year. Okay, Adam, we're going to put you on the spot. Are the fans in Cincinnati going to be happy or are there going to be tears in, in Teaneck with the Fremantle household? Who wins this game? Well, you know, one of the crazy things about this Xavier Seton Hall uh, matchup is that the the visiting team has dominated this game. I don't. I think Xavier's won their last three trips to Seton Hall, and Seton Hall's won their last three. Um, but honestly, I think that that trend probably ends on Saturday. I think um, I think Seton Hall's a more complete team right now. I think that they're, they're the tougher team. And I wouldn't be shocked if Xavier plays this a lot closer than the last one. Um, but I just – I'm not convinced that their offense is all the way back yet. So I'm going to pick the Pirates, and I know my, my Xavier fans are not going to be happy about that. But I think Seton Hall, you know, the size and the guard play, uh, you know, I, I think by some of the comments you guys have made, the guard play hasn't been – entirely consistent this year well, they, they, they lost bryce aiken to injury again a couple games back oh, and yeah, he kind of had a little breakout performance against you know the musketeers coming off the bench igniting that run that they kind of ended the first half on so without bryce being off the bench in that dynamic you know fast-paced point guard that we were hoping to get i mean that was supposed to be him integrating himself back into more minutes he was just still recovering from the first sprained ankle that he had against louisville now you're working with Shavar Reynolds having to play 30 plus minutes a game. You're dealing with a freshman and Jahari Long off the bench who hasn't gotten into the rotation. We saw in in the Creighton game them, ex, you know, basically take advantage of that. They they kind of knew that we were shorthanded, put a lot of pressure on Shavar, and it forced us into more turnovers than we've seen out of that position to start the season. So we're hoping that there's not a blueprint out there for other teams to exploit. Yeah. You know, the the one guy that we really didn't get the chance to talk to, but you guys should should keep an eye out on because he was just returning from the, the COVID-19 protocols, I think, for the first game, and that's Juan Odom, the, the freshman point guard. Really been impressed with him, man. It, if you guys, you're watching this game, you're going to see him quite a bit. He is uh, – he's a special freshman. I think Xavier found a really good one 
Um, so yeah, keep an eye on him in this game. I think he could uh, he could be a problem for you guys. Well, we're gonna hope he keeps struggling a little bit. So, but Adam, thanks so much for joining us again. You were great last year. You were great this year. We wish you nothing but the best. Stay healthy, my friend. Hey, you guys too. It's always good talking to you guys. Uh, you know, keep up the good work. I like listening to the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, Adam Baum. Everybody. Okay, Mike. We heard what Adam thought about the Seton Hall Xavier game. What do you think? I gave you my prediction to end the last week's episode. I, I said we're going to be rolling into this difficult stretch, seven and two, right? I'm being optimistic. I'm coming off that, you know, birthday wishes, all the belated happiness that you wished me to start last week's episode. Uh, I, I think Adam nailed it on the head. We, we started getting into the matchup of Fremantle versus Sandro. And I think both of those guys are the engine that make their teams go. And from time to time, they have pressed uh, and have had some off nights. And then you've seen the team conversely struggle. Uh, Sandro is still finding a way to get his 18 points a game, but you'd like to see it come a little more effortlessly. And when he's actually hit his stride, we've seen those 30-point outbursts. So we know it's there. We know he has that first team, all Big East, Big East player of the year potential. And I'm not saying Sandro read his press clippings. I'm just saying... I think there's a little bit of extra pressure lately. I think the other teams are game planning to slow him down. How do you not game plan to slow down a guy who's going for 30 and 12, right, in a particular game? And the turnovers have started to kind of creep up, and it's getting him back to, as you would say, Tom, he's shrugging again, right? He's, he's getting a little <laughs> Oh, no, don't say me. Come on. Don't Come put on, that Tom, on he's, my shoulders. He's my boy. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing you under the bus. I'm not doing that. Come on. Well, I'll tell you uh, this, Mike. I, 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 it's very interesting that Travis Steele sat down the team and made them watch that game completely. That must have been a hard viewing. And I think Xavier's going to come back and play a little better. But I also think the Hall is going to come back after being off for a week and not really playing well in the last three games, you know, including especially the loss against Creighton. And I think they're going to come back with a renewed effort. And I think we're going to play a little better. And I'm going to say this. Don't think that playing in Walsh isn't going to be a bit of a confidence booster and a little bit of an edge for the Pirates. See, that's interesting. So I, I agree. Both teams are going to have a, a reason to kind of bounce back strong and their coaches are going to use that bulletin board material or use that film to get them motivated. Uh, Willard does not like playing in Walsh. He says that he doesn't like the way that the team. Well, that's good because Willard doesn't play uh, the game. So he could just sit there on the bench and coach, let the guys play. But he's right, though. Normally we've gotten off to slow starts. I know they've been in more of like an exhibition, like first couple games of the year type setting, but they've come out against lesser opponents and had to almost kind of kick it into gear into second half. And you're, the, the shooting was just off in those games. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's something to it with the fact that he doesn't let them practice in Walsh gym. They play, they practice in the auxiliary gym. So you don't get the reps in. I don't know, but that's a unique factor to all this. Sure. I still think it's going to come back besides Sandro being more relaxed and playing his A game, I think it's going to come down to what kind of point guard play we get. Uh, Shavar has been night and day in his last couple of performances versus what he was giving us early in the season. I don't think we're expecting Shavar to win the game uh, on his shoulders alone, but he was as steady as a rock early on in, in conference play, early in the preseason, excuse me, in the non-conference. Uh, but he's been pressing the last two games. If you can get Shavar to kind of just steady the ship, and get the same kind of effort from Jahari and let the other guys do their thing, 
I think Seton Hall's the better team. They, they should win this game, but you got a lot of wild cards. So I'm, I'm going with the victory, but don't I wouldn't be shocked if Xavier comes back and makes this a dogfight into the final minutes. Well, I'm excited that we're going to see Walsh on TV this Saturday, and me and the kids are going to be sitting there screaming our heads off saying, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 